Hello, my name is Father Edward Looney, and you're listening to the podcast, How They Love Mary, a podcast that I hope will either be the beginning or the deepening of your Marian devotion. If you've been following the podcast now for a few months, you have noticed that we've had a few different interviews, lots of different interviews with authors, with musicians, and also with women in religious life or discerning religious life. A while back, I had on Sister Joseph Andrew from the Dominican Sisters of Mary, Mother of the Eucharist, and she shared about their life and their devotion to the Blessed Mother. Erin Brown shared her story of discernment as she enters the Summit Dominicans on August 14th. And today, I will be speaking with Gretchen Ehrlichman, and she will be sharing her own story about discernment. Now, of course, this isn't a podcast that's all about vocational discernment, but I really think that this is something about the Marian dimension of a call, because especially as women go and enter the religious life, They're rendering their own individual fiat, their own yes to God. Just as Mary said, let it be done to me according to your word. Mary said, behold, I am the handmaid of the Lord. And so they now are the handmaids of the Lord, serving the Lord in the church, praying to him each and every day. So Gretchen will share with us her own story about discernment and how she came to decide to enter a religious community that is once again cloistered. Uh, Aaron is entering a cloistered order. Dominican Sisters and Mary Mother of the Eucharist are an active order. And so I'm so excited for you to share your story with me today, Gretchen. Thank you so much, Father. I'm so excited to be here with you. Well, you know, the the idea of a vocation is, is sometimes it comes to us when we're very young. A person might already have the interest in religion from a very young age. They grew up in a devoted household. But then there are others that maybe religion wasn't a part of their life, but yet they were exposed to it at some time, and then they've given their life to it. And so I'm just curious, especially as we begin talking about the process of discernment, which camp do you think you fall into in terms of your family life and background? Yeah, so... It's a little interesting because I am a cradle Catholic and um, I grew up Catholic. I have three sisters and my parents homeschooled us. And so our faith was a really big part of our lives growing up. And I was homeschooled all the way until I went to college. Um, And that gave us an opportunity to really kind of foster faith in our home. And we were able to go to mass during the week. And I guess um, that kind of brought my attention to the idea of religious life as a young person. Um, and I had kind of back and forth kind of thought, oh, this is interesting reading the lives of the saints and things like that and thinking, wow, I think, I think I could do that. But then I would say, um, once I got to college, my faith was not, um, a huge part of my life anymore. I kind of got distracted by my own plans and my career and my schooling. And so I was kind of a bare minimum Catholic, um, for about five or six years. Um, and then I I felt the loss of that um, later on after I had graduated with my master's, I was like, something is missing and what is it? And then I kind of went back to, to kind of that faith that I grew up with. So it's kind of back and forth, you know, I, I was, I was a Creole Catholic. It was always an option. Um, religious life was always kind of introduced and encouraged, but it wasn't until I personally came back in my adult life um, with my own intention and my own kind of thirst for knowledge of the faith that, um, I thought, I thought, wow, like maybe God's asking me to go into religious life. Um, so it was, it was a strange, a strange kind of back and forth. 
Do you have brothers and sisters? Are you an only child? Yeah, I have three sisters. So I'm the second oldest of four girls. Okay. And are they faith-filled? Do they practice the faith? or? Are, yeah, do- they do. I think we've all, like, even in, in the time when I was kind of, as I say, a bare minimum Catholic, I always went to su- Mass on Sundays and always, always went to Mass on Holy Days um, because that's just kind of how I was brought up. Um, even if I wasn't kind of taking that extra step to really engage with my faith outside of, you know, my Sunday obligation. Um, and so my sisters are still practicing the faith um, and we practice the faith as a family. So, yeah. You said you went off to college. Did you go to a Catholic university? Was it uh, a secular university? Yeah, I went to a secular liberal arts school for my undergraduate degree in voice performance. Um, so I studied opera, basically. And then I went to um, a, also a secular music conservatory for my master's in voice performance as well. So, um, and then I came to D.C. and started a Ph.D., um, in musicology at um, the Catholic University of America. So that was the first Catholic college I had ever attended, actually. Yeah, and you're talking about music conservatories. I, I can't imagine that they would have Newman centers or anything like that, did they? No, no. There was like a local um, like kind of Catholic community um, near where the college was, but it wasn't, there was nothing at the university that really kind of <laughs> helped me grow in my faith. So um, yeah, a lot of it, was kind of on my own a little bit when I was attending secular universities and trying to kind of find other people, um, you know, interested in, in growing in faith in those communities. Have you just been a lifelong student or were there interims where you went and you performed and worked and, or have yeah. you just always been going to school? Yeah, so um, the year between my undergraduate and my graduate degree, I was an AmeriCorps volunteer teacher at a um, Catholic middle school, and I taught music during that time. And then after I had graduated with my master's, I moved to New York City, and I was a teaching artist, and I was freelance performing um, in classical music and opera um, for a year before deciding to come to D.C. to start um, the Ph.D. in musicology. So you have all of this education, undergrad, <laughs> graduate, you have some of a doctorate. How long? How much yeah. longer would you have gone, needed to go in order to complete the doctorate? Um, I probably could have been done. Uh, I would have been done with coursework um, by this point and probably would have been starting on my PhD and maybe, maybe could have been done finishing it next year or, you know, in another 18 months. But um, God has called me otherwise. Um, and I had student loan. Um, so I had to kind of put my priorities somewhere else. And I was fundraising with the Labouret Society um, to, to fundraise for my student loans so that I could, you know, enter this summer. And that's where I was going with all of that was about the, the Labouret Society. I saw that you're a graduate of their program or whatever. Yeah. And so tell us a little bit about the Labouret Society. Yeah. So the Labouret Society um, is a society that helps people who are discerning religious life to um, mitigate or get rid of their student loans so that they can enter, um, just because that is a hindrance to being able to enter a community or even to enter seminary. And so the Library Society works with roughly 20 to 25 people every six months. And every six months, there's a class of people that collaborate in being able to fundraise for vocations. So I worked um, for 18 months, so each six months. So I worked for three six-month classes, and I worked with about 20 to 25 people, and we all went and had parish appeals and talked to individuals and 
you know, wrote letters to people and reached out on social media and things in order to go and and ask people to enter into the story of our vocations and support us so that we can enter. And um, it's a really great thing because you have a support system of other people who are working with you. And, you know, some of those people have become my friends that we're now praying for each other. Some have already entered into religious life in cloister communities and active communities. Some have entered seminary. Um, and it's just so beautiful to be able to work with those people and pray for, with them to, to fundraise for the student loans. But it's also great to like invite the rest of the church into the story of our vocations. And now I have um, hundreds of people who have supported me and I have all of their names written down and I, they send me prayer intentions and I will be praying for those people for the rest of my life. So it's a beautiful way to see how, um, you know, the church is a body and like we all need to work together. Um, so yeah, so and and beautifully, all of all of the money that is fundraised goes directly to vocations. So um, it it only pays off our student loans while we are in formation. If someone were to discern out, the money would go to another person who needs it. So so it's really just supporting vocations within the church, um, and we work together to do that. So you reached out to your own family and friends and your circle, or were there other people that you discovered along the way? Oh, I, yeah, every, I mean, a bunch of people, like my family and friends, I, of course, had told and shared my story with them, and they did support me. But I mean, I met hundreds of people that I did not know before, or people, um, when I was doing some outreach on social media for the fundraising, um, because of the pandemic, I wasn't able to go to churches and, and, and speak to people in person. I did a lot of outreach on social media, and I had people, I think it, came out to be like nine different countries um, who had somehow find my story and were excited to to support me. And I had spoken with some people over Zoom or through email or through social media to kind of just share um, share the joy and, and share, share about uh, vocations and, and the need for all of us to kind of work together in order for, you know, flourishing. <laughs> what would you say to the person kind of maybe the negative naysayer or the pessimist that would say, well, why should I support that? Why can't you just go get a job and pay it off yourself? Yeah. So that, I mean, that is an actual question that I've received before. And I guess one of the big things is that like when God calls you go, right? So it's a vocation is something that God is asking, um, the person to act upon and not just kind of put Jesus on hold. So I didn't want to put Jesus on hold and in order for me to pay off my student loans by myself, it probably would have taken at least 20 years, if not more, because I did go through so much schooling. Sure. Um, and at that point, and there's also communities that do have kind of an age limit. You know, I can't wait, you know, 20 years and show up at the door at the age of like 50 and be like, Hey, now I'm ready to, to be a nun. So um, I think timing is a thing, but also that, um, that yeah, it, it's, it's not just about the money either. It's about realizing that, um, yeah, there is this kind of communion between people in the church for the fundraising project. And I realized that, like, yes, I was asking support because I, I was in financial need in order to mitigate these loans so I could enter. But I realized that it really was kind of so much more than that and being able to connect with those people that, you know, God willing, I will spend the rest of my life praying for. Um, and it's really beautiful. It's helped me grow and it's helped my heart really kind of expand in ways that I had never imagined. 
You said that for a few years you were this bare minimum Catholic, but you still you were doing much more than some people are doing. You were going to mass. You were doing those things. You know, I would almost think a bare minimum Catholic would be like Christmas, Easter, not doing that much. You know, um, so so you were really exceeding bare minimum. You were still practicing, kind of maybe we would say going through the motions, like you said. This mm-hmm. is what I've always done, so I just kept doing it and. Um, I, I guess then, where was that shift that happened that you went from the bare minimum, you realize there's something missing in my life, so you go back to the practice of the faith in a deeper way, but then as you do so, you discover the call. What was that like? How mm-hmm. did you sense that God was calling you to this life? Yeah. So um, after I'd finished my master's and I had moved to New York and I was trying to kind of make my way as a as a professional musician... I did kind of feel this kind of emptiness and I couldn't figure out exactly what it was. And what ended up happening is I was looking for a church to just attend on Sundays and I ended up going to St. Joseph's in Greenwich Village and that um, parish is served by the Dominican friars. And after the masses um, and they would have a 6 p.m. Sunday mass and they would have Um, lectures for young people where they would have some wine and you sit down and one of the friars would give a lecture on, you know, the um, mysteries of the rosary or the beatitudes or something like that. And I just thought, okay, like maybe I'll try this out. So after one of the masses I had went and yeah, there was this change in me when I was kind of hearing as an adult, those things that I had learned as a kid and like wondering how I could put them into practice in my life. And this was not something I would just go out of my way to, to go and listen to, but it was happening and there were other people going. So I was like, I'll go. And I think at that moment, I realized this is what's missing. Like that little kind of emptiness started to be filled by this desire to learn about my faith that I hadn't really experienced since, you know, my teenage years, you know, even like middle school. And so once I started kind of engaging in this way, I was like, wow, I want to learn more. So I started listening to some podcasts and then I was like, well, this would be great to just kind of like pray more. And I just started to feel this kind of desire for spiritual things that I hadn't really known for many years. And at that point, um, I was in New York for a year. And then when I moved um, to Washington, D.C., down around the Catholic University of America area, there's just so many masses available every day and adoration and confessions. And, and so I thought, okay, well, I'll just start going to um, daily mass because a bunch of my friends are already doing that. And, you know, it's, it sounds like a great thing and I like going to mass. So I started going to daily mass and then after mass, they would have adoration. So I would stay and go and stay for adoration. And I just started to discover that this was something like I truly, truly desired. And (laughs) I think, when I had come to DC, it was the first time I had ever really seen young religious. Um, and I remember sitting in adoration one day and looking around and, you know, there's a religious sister on one side and there's this like seminarian and clerics on the other side and this friar over in the corner. And I was like, wow, like all these people and I are just like doing the same thing. And I was like, wow, but they've just like given their life to God. And I was like, that is so cool. And so, I don't know, something just sparked in me to think this this kind of spending time alone with God is really what fulfills me more than all of these other kind of things I've pursued. Um, 
And then it just kind of went from there. It was very unexpected. <laughs> I like would, you know, if someone looks at my life like 10 years ago till now, they're like, how in the world are you entering a cloister? And I was like, oh, by the grace of God. <laughs> hmm. I think what you say there is great advice just for anyone that making those choices for the spiritual things, you begin to notice your life is a bit different. When you choose to stop at the church, and maybe, you know, I'm thinking of people in my own town, maybe we don't have adoration every day, but they can go into the church and pray before the Blessed Sacrament. They can say their rosary with their family or by themselves anywhere. And as you begin to do those things, you notice that there's something different about your life because of it. And and that's what you noticed as you started doing those things. And then God began to speak to you uh, through that, and, and you began to hear that call so so you sense the call then and then what do you do from there do you start looking for religious orders did you find a spiritual director first to lead you in this process what's that look like yeah um when i started to feel this i was like wow i really need some guidance and so i had contacted um one of the Dominican friars that I had met when I was living in New York. And I said, do you know anyone in DC who might be able to help me <laughs> talk, talk about the spiritual life? Because it's, I just feel this, I need to do something more and I don't know what it is. And so he had connected me with a spiritual director, which kind of was the first step for me, just finding someone to be able to like talk through everything with um, and just see what, what was this kind of desire for spiritual things? Like, what does this mean? Um, and as I said, I went to secular universities until I, I moved to DC. So I never, um, I never had a spiritual director before. I really didn't know how it worked, but I was like, okay, I'm going to go, I'm going to talk to this priest. Like maybe he can help me figure this out. Um, and that was very helpful to kind of have guidance and being able to discern what is that thing that I desire? Like, what is this thing that God has made me for? Um, you know, am I doing it? Am I running away from it? Am I moving towards it? Like, where where is this going? And so that was the first step. And then as I realized that all of the things that I truly desired and kind of the way I was living my life was being more and more kind of conformed to this, yeah, to the image of what it looks like to be like a religious. I was, I was praying, you know, morning and evening prayer and going to daily mass and adoration and taking time as much time as I could each day to, to set aside for private prayer. And I really found that incredibly fulfilling. And so it just seemed like that was, that was the desire in my heart. So once I had a spiritual director help me discern, like, yeah, I'm, I think religious life is, is what I need to look into right now. Then I started looking at different communities. Um, I initially was looking at um, only active communities. The idea of cloister was kind of scary to me at first. Um, I'm, a, I'm, a, I'm a big extrovert. I, I've been a performer and a teacher and, and I was like, well, it doesn't, you know, I don't seem made for the cloister. So <laughs> we're just gonna, you know, look at the active communities because it seems more in line with kind of what I do with my life. Um, and so I started talking to different communities, active communities. Um, and even though I was moving in that direction, I kind of felt like unsettled about it. And I know my spiritual director had mentioned, well, why don't you look at some monasteries? And I was like, oh, you know, the cloister, that's, that's too much. Um, but even as I kind of settled on entering an active community, I just thought maybe, maybe I need to open my heart a little more and, and really think, 
you know, what is the life that God's calling me to? And if he's calling me to the cloister, then I have to go. Um, and so then I started, after a while, discerning with active communities, I was like, well, I'll just go visit a monastery because <laughs> that's the only way I'm going to know. I had sent an email um, to Our Lady of Grace, which was the monastery recommended that I visit um, by my spiritual director. And I, I went and... Yeah, that was actually the only monastery I visited. And I walked into the chapel and they have the Blessed Sacrament um, exposed for adoration the whole time the chapel is open during the day. And I remember walking in the dark chapel and just getting down on my knees in front of the Blessed Sacrament and just feeling this like incredible sense of peace. Like our Lord was just, yeah, like this is where you need to be. And I was like, all right, you know, even though it was the cloister, even though it was kind of scary, um, yeah, I just felt very certain that, you know, God's asking me to come there. And I was like, all right, Lord, like that, like, that's what's going to make me happy. Like the thing that you've asked me to do. <laughs> I think it's very interesting how God works. So you were a voice performer, you sang operas, you were before people uh, doing that. And so now here you are going to enter a religious community, and I'm assuming they must chant the divine office. Mm -hmm. So now you're using your voice for a different purpose. You're using your voice to give praise to God in song, and you'll be singing then with the with, with all of the, the sisters who are there. And so there, there's something very beautiful, I think, about that. Uh, as you were sharing about that and me putting that together in your in your history that that really now you perform for God yeah yeah some people were there were some people um, that I my colleagues or people I'd sang with that were like well you're gonna give everything that you've worked for up and I said no I'm giving nothing up I'm giving it all to God like every it's very true like everything I've studied everything I've practiced everything I've I've cultivated in my life as, as a performer, as a musician, as a scholar is somehow being used to either get me to the monastery or will be used once I'm in the monastery. Um, and it's really, yeah, it's really interesting how God works. It's so, you know, he's been, he's been pruning me and shaping me from the beginning. I just didn't know. <laughs> so you go, you visit the Our Lady of Grace monastery, the Dominican nuns there, you walked into their chapel you realize this kind of feels like home. So then what happens from there? You went back a few more times to visit. What was the application process like? Everything like that. Yeah. So um, I went a few more times. So the first time I just went for about three days to visit. Um, and then I asked to come for another visit. So I spent another um, longer visit, about a week or so. Um, and then after that, I requested to receive an application, and the novice mistress was like, great, I think it's good to give you an application. So I received an application, which is, was very extensive, um, and you, I think one of the most um, interesting parts of it is that you have to write an autobiography. Um, so that was a, an incredible thing to kind of just write down my life from beginning until now and really reflect on you know, how God has shaped me. To, to apply to this monastery and, and enter at this point. And um, 
And so I had to do that. And then once the application was accepted, um, that means I was accepted to Aspirancy or the Aspirancy Live-In, which means that I went last summer and spent a month in the monastery behind the, you know, the cloister walls with the nuns and lived the life that I would be living um, as a nun in formation. And at that point, as long as that went well, I requested to come back. And then what happens is the community discerns whether they think I'm a good fit. And then they all take a vote. And if um, and they did vote in my favor. And then I will be entering as a postulant, which will be my first year of um, formation with the nuns. And then after that, the novitiate. And then simple vows. And eventually, God willing, solemn vows. Wow. So yeah, that's quite the process. And yes. you, you talked about the Labore Society earlier and relieving your student loan debt. At what point did they enter into the equation? Was it after the aspirancy, before the aspirancy? Um, when did you start fundraising to minimize your debt? Yeah, so I actually started fundraising um, pretty soon after I started discerning religious life in general um, because I was discerning with an active community for about six months of the fundraising. And then I switched my discernment to the, the monastery and then continued my fundraising with that. So I fundraised for 18 months and I started fundraising in the summer of 2019. Um, and so I pretty, pretty soon started, I knew I would have to fundraise if I was going to enter into religious life. I mean, as I was looking at different communities and, you know, talking to different vocations directors at different communities, they would ask, you know, do you have student loan? <laughs> I was like, oh, do I have student loan? And so, um, so when I was aware that um, that was going to be an issue, um, I immediately tried and tried to navigate how I was going to connect myself with um, the Labore Society. And then, you know, they were very gracious and were excited for me. And they, they pulled me on board right away to start the process um, just because I did have a significant amount of student loan because of all my education. And I knew that um, if, if God's asking me, I want to go as quick as I can. So um, I, I, started, I started right away with that. Now, how have your family and friends received the news that you're entering the cloister? Yeah, it's, um, it's, <laughs> it's been a little mixed. I think there's different kinds of people. So my family um, is pretty supportive. I mean, my sisters are sad that I, I won't be around for holidays and things the way that, that we always have been, um, just because there's four of us. <laughs> are your sisters married? Yeah. No, none of my sisters. My older sister is engaged to be married, um, and my two younger sisters um, are just on their own for now. So, so I don't have any nieces or nephews or anything like that. Um, so it's just my 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 sisters and I, and then my mom's um, very, very supportive and like super excited. My dad's having a little bit of a harder time understanding the cloister aspect of it. Um, but then I think the friends are kind of half and half. Some are, 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 I have some very, very good Catholic friends who have a bunch of their own friends who have entered into religious life. And it's kind of old hat for them in a way, <laughs> like they just know a lot of people who've entered religious life. But then I have other friends from, um, you know, other part, other times in my life that are not Catholic and some of them believe in God and some of them do not. And um, 
but it's always it's interesting to see because sometimes even people who who are atheists or don't believe in God or practice an entirely different religion somehow understand what I'm doing um, because they see kind of the excitement that I have for it and kind of the the fact that it's radical and some of them think like wow well you're just kind of really devoted to this thing and I'm very supportive of you because of that um, and then there's other people who maybe are Catholic but then have a harder time um, kind of coping with the idea that I'm, I'm leaving um, the you know the career that I've worked for or that um, they don't understand why I would go into a cloister as opposed to maybe do something that um, is more kind of in the world, like caring for the poor or teaching or working in a hospital. Yeah. Um, and so I think to, to kind of use this time to explain the importance of the contemplative vocation and the importance of prayer for the flourishing in the church. Um, and I, yeah, just keep kind of sharing about that kind of hidden work that's going on behind the walls of monasteries. One of the reasons I brought up your sisters is because entering the cloister means you're not going to be at their wedding. You know, you won't share physically in that day. You'll be praying for them and for God to pour out his blessings upon them, but you won't be there. You know, you yeah. talked about the active and the, the cloistered vocation. Well, in the active vocation, people trying to say, well, why, why didn't you consider that? Why aren't you doing that? Feed the poor educate people in that life you would get your home visit you'd be able to go mm -hmm. home for mm -hmm. for five days or a week or whatever and so you're still a part of the family life but really the only way you'll see your family now is if they come to you to mm -hmm. the monastery to our lady of grace and then they're going to see you behind the grill and uh, so they will have to make the make the uh, point to visit you yes yeah, I know, um, especially my older sister who's engaged to be married, she has, she has expressed her sadness that I won't be there at her wedding. Um, but I have talked, you know, with my sisters about it, I mean, all of them. Uh, and I just try to reassure them that the prayers that I am, am sending, uh, you know, for that beautiful day of marriage, because um, marriage, you know, is just such a beautiful sacrament. Um, and the the way that I can contribute to the flourishing in their life is by fulfilling what God has made me to do. You know, I would be I would be less impactful on their life if I decided to deny this call and and do something that I haven't been made for because I would always kind of not live up to to that thing that brought me to the the fullest. Um, so so I yeah, it's been an interesting conversation, but. It, it is difficult, but I think that the more I enter into this, you know, vocation, the more that even though those relationships change, they will grow deeper because when we are doing that thing that, that fills us with the most life and that thing that God has made us to do, I think that um, we all just give more to each other through that. So I think that as I enter into this, and even though that relationship is changing, that that relationship is growing because there's just more fruitfulness to the life that I'm living. And, um, you know, I can share that 
with other people. You said that marriage is beautiful. It's a beautiful life. And so in your own discernment then, as you were thinking about religious life, of course, probably during those times in which you described yourself as the bare minimum Catholic, you probably thought, well, I'm destined for marriage. Maybe you even dated during that time. But was there a strong consideration for marriage? Oh, yes, of course. I, um, yeah, I had consistently dated people throughout college. Um, and I actually was dating someone who was a very good, a good Catholic, um, and very beautifully he supported, um, my decision to discern religious life, but we were dating, um, until I had, I had explained to him, you know, I feel very much called, um, to discern religious life. And he, he definitely understood and was, you know, and still to this day prays for me. And I pray for him as, as I'm entering into this, but I definitely, um, considered marriage because I do think it's so beautiful. And I think that, you know, to be called to marriage is a beautiful gift and, you know, couples, you know, living in a way that helps them to, to grow in faith and to work towards salvation and to bring each other, you know, into eternity, um, is a really beautiful thing. Um, and, you know, and if they're given the gift of children, that's also, um, a way of kind of fulfilling their personal vocation. So I think it's, it's really beautiful. And I think that, you know, we are kind of made for communion. So it's a very interesting thing to feel called to, um, to a life where you're completely just consecrated to God. And it's just, it's just you and God, you know, I mean, yes, you have your community if you're in a religious community, but, um, it's a, it's a different thing, but I think you start to realize how, um, how, you know, whether you're called to, to either marriage or religious life, that you start to see how you can act upon um, the way of giving to, to another, giving to others, um, just in a different way. What are you looking forward to most as you join the monastery? Um, <laughs> this is going to sound very nunny, but just like to be... Um, under the same roof as our Lord always, and just to be able to walk into the chapel and be able to adore him, um, you know, as, as is appropriate to my duties. Um, but just having that kind of, um, yeah, ability to, to, to be with our Lord um, as much as possible. I think it's just, I mean, it's just exciting and thrilling. And um, yeah, I can't wait. <laughs> What's something you're going to miss as you leave the the world and enter into this little piece of heaven? What are you going to miss? What am I going to miss? Let's see. Um, I mean, there's a few things I'm going to miss. Like, I like to hike. So climbing to the top of a mountain, um, I will miss that. I'll also um, miss going to coffee shops. I really like going to coffee shops, like not just to drink coffee. I love coffee, but like also to just be in a coffee shop is something exciting for me. Um, and then what else? Oh, I will definitely, and, and people who know me know this, I will miss bacon um, because the monastery does not eat red meat. Um, and so I will miss bacon. <laughs> oh, wow. That's a big sacrifice. So they don't eat red meat, but they'll eat chicken, they'll eat fish, you're saying? We'll eat, yeah, poultry and fish. Um, okay. Yeah. Wow. 
Uh, what are some of the various apostolates? You know, some of the nuns, they make jam or, you know, there there's different things that they might make and sell. Do they have like a store or anything like that? Yeah, yeah. the Monastery of Our Lady of Grace has a small gift shop where they have cards and candles and some jam and different things that they make at the monastery. Um, and then um, some of the nuns um, contribute like writing to certain, you know, things for forwards for books or small little articles and things like that in different um, Catholic resources. And, uh, and yeah, and then we just, and then we pray, we, we pray for the world. We pray for the Dominican order. We pray. Um, yeah. We, we, you know, let, let God's word come back to him. How um, many nuns are there at the monastery of our lady of grace? So I will be number 23 when I enter. Are there other young people like yourself discerning the community right now? So there are other people discerning the community. I will be the only one that I know of right now entering into postulancy, um, you know, this year. I mean, there may be some to come after me, um, but I will be the only postulant when I enter. Um, But there have been quite a few inquiries um, in the last year of people who are interested in visiting and possibly making aspirancies. Have your parents been to the monastery already? Have you taken them there? (laughs) No. (laughs) Will they go with you on the day you enter? My mom is going to be coming with me when I enter. So so she will see the monastery uh, when I enter, but everyone else will see it when they come to visit, um, including my sisters. (laughs) Okay. And uh, what day are you entering? I'm entering on July 22nd for the Feast of St. Mary Magdalene. Oh, wow. How beautiful. Um, yeah, so you'll, you, you'll attend Mass there probably before entering the convent. Is that right? I've yes. seen this done. Like you yep. go to Mass, and then after Mass, you go and you knock on the door, and then they yep. let you in. Yep. Yeah, so I'll go to Mass. Um, yeah, like pray lots, pray, t- pray terse, go to Mass, and then... At some point in the morning, I will stand on the other side of the door, make my goodbye, and knock on the door, and then they will let me in, and I will I will start my new life. You'll wear your your postulant outfit and everything. Yeah, like that. so I'll enter in the clothes you know that I have on the outside, and then I'll go in, and they have a little room where I will um, put on my postulant outfit, and then I will go to greet the community as as their newest member. Wow, how incredible! Yeah, you know, I I hope to follow along on your little journey. Of course, you won't be posting on Twitter or anything like that, but nope. <laughs> uh, but just uh, maybe to to follow the the monastery website and see uh, all the happenings there. It, it's yeah. always great to see the the seed of a vocation unfold and how you know to watch someone go from postulancy all the way to final profession. It's a a very moving thing to be able to witness uh, and to be a bystander to it. Well, that's great. You wrote an article on Althea called The Call of the Cloister. And so if people want to read more of your reflections, they can most definitely uh, go to Althea, read that article. How, how did they, uh, did you write it just for them? Did they approach you? How did, how did that article come about? Yeah, I did. I did write it for them. Um, so I had write in another article called Why, Why I'm Entering a Monastery in 2021. Um, that was published in Crisis Magazine, and um, Father Patrick Mary Briscoe, who is the editor for Alatea, had read that article and um, had asked if I would be willing to write an article for Alatea, um, and I said, well, I'd love to, and 
I, I feel very blessed for the opportunity to share about the contemplative vocation and kind of share about the process of discernment um, because I think it's very important and I think it's helpful to people like myself who are discerning to have as many resources as possible. And so with that article, I really tried to write the article that I wish was out there for me to read when I had first started discerning. Um, oh, just, nice. you know, what is it like to discern? Um, what is it like to enter? And, you know, what kind of people can, can do this? Um, and I tried to, to write it in a vein where I want people to know that God can call anyone of any personality, any temperament, any, you know, background <laughs> to religious life, to the cloister. And um, if he's giving you the grace to do it and he's asking you to do it, then, um, you know, go ahead and do it. <laughs> One of the things I really appreciate what you said earlier was, you know, not to delay God's call. And we see that in the gospel, you know, the guy comes to Jesus and says, you know, I want to follow you, but he says, I want to go bury my father first. And, and mm -hmm. so he wants to delay, but yet Jesus says, no, come follow me right now. And so it's wonderful that through Labre, you were able to find that assistance to be able to allow you to follow the urgency of that call that God has placed in your life at this very moment. So, so what a beautiful story. I wasn't aware of the Crisis Magazine article. I'll have to go look for that as well. So Yeah. Wonderful. Now, one of the things I always do just to close the little program is uh, just to ask a few questions about your own Marian devotion. So yeah. um, is there a favorite title for the Blessed Mother that you have? Um, I don't know. She has so many beautiful titles. But I think, um, I think Mary, the Mother of God, is is one that's kind of just come up in the last years of discernment because I really have looked to the Blessed Mother for help in discernment of the contemplative vocation and realize that like Mary is a true contemplative and the way that she fills, fulfills her role as as the perfect woman, the perfect wife, the perfect mother, the perfect woman and how I can kind of use her example to kind of fulfill my role as a woman, um, you know, in the world and um, in service to the church. And so, so I think that would be the one that I would say has kind of Mary, the mother of God has come up the most in kind of my prayer life in the last few years. Sure. Of course, that's a phrase we say, Holy Mary, mother of God, pray for us sinners. So we say that so often in the Hail Mary through the recitation of the rosary also too just thinking about mary's maternity that she is mother of god she's mother of all of us and maybe as you kind of discern the this calling in the church well you're like well i'm not going to be a mother of physical children so then you look to mary as that example of spiritual motherhood as well mm -hmm. so so that is a very rich title to look at of course, too, your monasteries are Lady of Grace. So that will be a title that will be near and dear to your heart, that yes. she'll obtain all the graces you need for the religious life. So um, how about a rosary tip? You know, lots of people pray the rosary. Some of them say, I, I don't really know if I pray it well, or I feel like I don't pray it at all or good. Uh, anything you've done to make you feel that you pray the rosary uh, in a better way? Um, yeah. I mean, this might seem a little unconventional, but I, I'd have a, um, a deep devotion just to the Trinity. I mean, don't we all? But seeing how the Trinity is present in each of the mysteries as I pray is something that I've kind of been practicing for the last few years. 
and just seeing like where is the the presence of the three persons where is the presence of the father where is the presence of the son where is the presence of the holy spirit mm. and seeing how um those persons of the trinity interact with um the people of each of the mysteries um like the blessed mother or the apostles or the disciples or each each of those people interacting in those mysteries i think um has been it's been very helpful to see how how the three persons of the trinity are present in each of the mysteries of the rosary is there a favorite Marian apparition of yours that uh, you've heard this story? Maybe you've been mesmerized by apparitions. Maybe you've been to a place of Marian apparition. I don't know. But uh, is there a Marian apparition that resonates the story or, or whatever? Yeah, I think um, the apparition at Lourdes has always kind of been dear to me because um, the par- my parish growing up was Our Lady of Lourdes. Um, and my mom has um, a great devotion to Our Lady of Lords, and so I think, I think that that has been the one that I that I have been most drawn to, um, you know, just because of because of the experience in my life of of being um, familiar with that. How about a Marian shrine? We talk about Marian apparitions, those are shrines, but then there are these Marian shrines that are devotional, there are different titles of Mary, etc. Is there a Marian shrine that's really left an impression upon you that you visited? I haven't really visited um, myself any Marian shrines that are really well known. Except but, for the National Basilica, being in D.C., yes, surely you were so there. Yes, so that's yeah. like, I was just going to say, one of the things is there's the National Basilica, and then behind the Basilica there's this really beautiful kind of Mary garden that's devoted to Mary where there's beautiful flowers Hmm. and there's a statue of Mary there. And I would say that that place um, has, has become quite special to me in the fact that a lot of times I would go there to kind of just pray and Hmm. kind of detach from all the other busy things I was doing um, during the day when I was around the area in DC. And so I would say, yeah, that's kind of, um, that's kind of the place where I think I've been able to do a lot of reflection on, on the Blessed Mother and kind of her, her son and, and how I can grow um, in, in love of, of them. Is there a Marian book that you have read that you would recommend to anyone? Um, yeah, well, I just this past year did the total consecration to Mary, um, St. Louis de Montfort. And that was very, um, very, it was just amazing. It it was very helpful to me, especially in in this, this time of preparation. Um, but there's also a really good book on Marian consecration through the writings of St. Thomas Aquinas by Matt Frad and Father Gregory Pine, OP. Um, and I also thought that was a really great, very small book, um, but a really good um, small kind of introduction to being able to really connect with Mary um, through through the teachings of St. Thomas Aquinas and to be able to reflect on that, especially through the words of the Hail Mary. Sure. How beautiful. Well, great. Well, I thank you so much, Gretchen, for joining me today on How They Love Mary to share a little bit of your story, to really bring to light. I don't think 
lots of people know much about the cloistered vocation. So I think it's beautiful that, you know, you're the second person in in the last few months to come on and to share about your discernment. You're not yet a cloistered religious, but soon you will be. And, uh, and just to share how God led you there, because it is a great mystery, and God is mysterious in his ways and in his calling. So thanks so much for, for being willing to share that with this audience. Yes, of course. Thank you so much for having me. And please know that I will continue to pray for this podcast and its listeners and this project. And um, it's, been, it's been wonderful to be able to have this conversation. Mm-hmm.